Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. Oh man, it's uh, good to be with you on this beautiful, cloudy Sunday morning. You see clouds, you get a little hope that maybe, just maybe, it won't be 97 degrees. Anybody else tired of the death march of heat? Like just from your, your front door to your car, I got to change shirts. I mean, it has been so hot. But you know what? It's what makes Texas great. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Um, well, we are in a series of talks that we're calling steps. And what's really significant about this series is that we're really believing that it's going to give us a clear picture of how we step into all that God has called us to be, not just individually, but also corporately. And last week we started, and truthfully, we're going to start every week of this series of talks the exact same way with a little bit of review. We are going to read through our manifesto. But before we do, you need to understand that when we say the manifesto, what we mean is that these are a list of declaration statements that we are all believing together are shaping the culture that God is establishing in us and through us. These are declaration statements of who we are. And this is what they are. You ready? Let's read them together. Jesus is our message. Hold on, time out. Here we go. I'm not even going to say anything. All right, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to leave it right there. I'm just going to leave it. You know, you know what happened, and it will never happen again, okay? Here we go. We're going to read this together. We're going to read this together. Together. Okay, ready? Here it is. Jesus is our message. Hope is our belief. Honor is our language. Serving is our privilege. Celebration is our soundtrack. Generosity is our standard. And transformation is our byproduct. All right, can we just do it one more time? All right, here we go. Jesus is our message. Hope is our belief. Honor is our language. Serving is our privilege. Celebration is our soundtrack. Generosity is our standard. And transformation is our byproduct. These are declaration statements of who we are. If you're new to church and you're wondering, like, man, what is this church all about? This is it. These are who we are statements. And what we're believing is that the series that we're in right now is going to give us a clear path for these things to not just be declarations that we say, but foundations in our lives. And so our steps are, you ready for it? Step one is encounter. Step two is belong. Step three is timeout. Come on, man. Come on now, church. Look, I know y'all. I've been in the lobby with some. Y'all know how to talk, okay? 
You're not fooling anybody. Okay, here we go. Step one is encounter. Step two is belong. Step three is matter. Step four is grow. And step five is build. All right. Now, last week, we launched into this series by looking at step one, which is encounter. And what we hopefully got seared into our souls is that encountering God is a lifestyle. It's not just a moment. Encountering God is a lifestyle, is positioning ourselves and pursuing with passion who Jesus is because those who show up, grow up. Those who show up, grow up. And today, we want to build on step one with step two. Now remember, we never graduate from the steps, but we live a life of leaning into the steps. But we're going to take a step further into step two, which is belong. And I want to start my talk with an old African proverb, which really just does a perfect job of articulating how powerful and important step two is. And it says this, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. Let's pray. Jesus, I do ask that this morning that your word would come alive in our hearts. It would establish truth in our souls and that you would give us a foundation on the rock, God, of who you are and what you're calling us to, not just as people, but as a church. And God, we ask that this series really would help us see how to take steps to become all that you've called us to be. And everybody said, amen. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was cruising through Netflix looking for a documentary documentary to watch. Anybody else do this? Okay, just four of us. Cool. Good for you, everybody, for not watching TV. Wait, I knew there was something special about this church. Way to go. Well, for the four of us that cruise Netflix every once in a while to try to find something to watch, I stumbled on a documentary that is called Iron Cowboy. Now, I read the description about this documentary, and I thought, I absolutely have to watch this because it is the story of an endurance athlete named James Lawrence. Now this, it, now let me, t- just for a second, let's, let me tell you, because I didn't know, that endurance athletes run like 50 mile races because a marathon is too short, okay? Did you hear me? 50 mile races because a marathon's just warming up. So you got to understand, right out of the gate, this James Lawrence guy is a different breed of humanity than me, okay? Because I'm thinking run three miles, I'm good. He's like run 50 miles because he's looking for a challenge, right? So he's a different kind of person. And he had this crazy, audacious goal to do 30 Ironmans in 11 countries in one year. Now, think about this. If you don't know what an Ironman is, all right, this is crazy. A 2.4-mile swim. Swim. 112-mile bike. 
And then to top it off, the cherry on the top is a marathon, 26.2 miles. What? Like you do one of those and I think you should probably rest. And he's like, man, I, I want to do 30 and 11 countries in a year. Now do the math. He is doing a marathon, 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, a 26.2-mile run every 10 or 11 days for a year. No one thought he could do it, but guess what? He did it. God in the Guinness Book of World Records, no one had ever done that, and no one had even thought about it for a good reason, okay? <laughs> but when he finished it, he thought, Man, I want to challenge myself. <laughs> and so he started dreaming into this thing that became known as the 50-50-50. <laughs> You're not going to believe me. But he wanted to do 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. Okay, 50 in 50 states. Now, look, take the logistical nightmare out of the equation, okay? The fact that he is going to have to travel to each state to somehow figure out how he's going to swim 2.4 miles and bike and run. He's got no control over weather. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Take all of that logistical, unknown, uncertainty out of it. It still sounds impossible. And you know what? He knew it was impossible. He knew that if he didn't get a team around him, there was no chance that he would complete what he had set his heart out to do. And so he got a team that would help him with the logistics. But here's the more important team. There was a team of runners, swimmers, and cyclists that traveled with him because he was only sleeping on average about four hours a night. Four hours of sleep a night, waking up from sleeping in a RV, driving him to the next state, waking up. Swimming 2.4 miles, biking 112 miles, and then running a marathon. And there were moments, very often actually, where he was so overcome with pain and fatigue that he just stopped. And they would ask him, like, what's going on? And he was like, I don't know, I just stopped. There were moments where he would just sit down on the side of the road. He just got off of his bike. One of the swims, actually, he was so fatigued, he started having a panic attack in the middle of a lake. But guess what? Those who want to go fast go alone, but those who want to go far go together. He wasn't by himself. So when he would have moments where he would sit on the side of the road, his team, his community that was doing this with him, sat with him, encouraged him, and at times 
picked him up and said, we just have a mile left. Let, let's, let's just go a little bit further together. And sometimes with his arms on top of their shoulders, they would just drag him as they began to walk and trot. They would literally put him on his bike, take him off his bike in swims. When he would begin to panic, they would grab hold of him and swim with him and pull him through the water. And James Lawrence understood this African proverb that this race was not about quickness. It was not about speed. It was about distance. And he knew that if he wanted to go fast, yeah, he maybe should probably do this alone. And he is one of the best Ironman athletes in the world. He can do them very fast. But it wasn't about speed. It was about distance. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go, go far, go together. You know, to be honest with you, when I started watching this documentary, and by the way, he did it. He did the 50 Ironman, Ironmans, men's, 50 things of stupidity. That's what we'll call it. In 50 states, in 50 days, he did it. And at the beginning of the documentary, when they're starting to tell me about it, I'm thinking this is one of those documentaries that will document a failure. Right? There's no way he can do this. He, he can't finish. <laughs> 50 Ironman triathlons, what? In 50 days, and there's no way he can finish that. And, and at the end of it, I was like, whoa, this dude didn't just finish it. He finished it well. Like he got stronger and faster as he went. It was incredible. His condition had improved along the way. But I, can I make a really bold statement here? And, and just lean into this with me. Because, because I know this is going to feel a little bit extreme, but when we all hear something like the 50-50-50, all of us, especially if you do endurance type things, see how ridiculous the idea of him completing that is. And we're actually surprised. That's why when I said he finished, you're like, whoa, wow. He did that because, because it is so hard to finish that. It's so hard to go that far. I think it actually might be harder to finish our life alive in God and finish the race that God has set out for us well and not to die bitter and frustrated but to die filled with expectation and hope, it might be harder to hear those words we all crave, well done, good and faithful servant. It might be harder to hear that than doing the 50-50-50. I don't know if you've noticed, it's kind of in vogue right now to leave the faith. Have you picked up on this trend? You don't have to look very far, and thanks to social media, like, Anytime someone denounces their faith, anytime someone walks away, I mean, there are authors of books that I read, leaders that I absolutely looked up to, people that influenced me that are saying things right now that they don't believe Jesus is who he says he was. They don't believe the Bible is true and accurate. And I'm looking at it heartbroken, like how in the world did you not finish well? Because I actually think 
that the principles that got James Lawrence through the 50-50-50 are the same principles that will get us to the end of our lives hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Because, yeah, there were some people maybe that had moments that seemed fast. Their faith seemed to accelerate quickly. But if you want to go fast, you're going to go alone. But if you want to go far, and, and the race that God has lined out for us is far. If you want to go far, we have to go together. What's interesting, when you actually lean in to this kind of emerging trend of these communities that are calling themselves like deconstructionists and people that are denouncing Christianity and embracing unbiblical theology, there is actually a very clear thread that runs through all of them. And that thread is that they stopped leaning in to step one and step two. They stopped having a rhythm of encountering Jesus and they had no community to belong to. And when you begin to skip step one and step two and you find yourself alone in the pain and the fight of the race of life, it leads to a setup for not finishing well. And if you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now, Mark 4, when you get there, and if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'd love to give you one, actually. So if you need one, you can go to the Get Connected Here space and grab yourself a Bible. We'd love to hook you up with a Bible. If you just didn't have it or you don't have your phone or you don't have the Bible app, it'll be up on the screen so you can read along with us. But Mark 4 is known as the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower. And this passage has been and will always be a great place of clarity and understanding that as a Jesus-loving people, we're to position ourselves as those who sow the message of the gospel broadly. And that is absolutely true. That is what this story is about. We're, we're to be sowers and trust God for the harvest. But, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into this together because when we do, I think we're going to find that there's echoes of more of what Jesus wants us to hear. And one of those echoes sounds like that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. So let's read this, Mark 4. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, listen, this is Jesus speaking, a sower went out to sow. Right now, if you're not a farmer, which you probably can't tell because I look like I'm going to do a mail route after this with my pants, but I, I talked to a couple of farmers. Like farmers, when, when you sow seed, you're literally grabbing handfuls of seed and just throwing it into the field. You're not necessarily at this stage concerned about where every seed will fall, okay? So you have to understand that when Jesus says this, his audience would understand that intuitively, that a sower, when you're sowing, when you're planting, you're grabbing handfuls of seed and you're just throwing it very, very broad. So Jesus says, listen, a sower, a farmer went out to sow and as he sowed, some of the seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. 
And other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up how? It sprang up how? And since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30 and 60 and a hundredfold. Now, Jesus' disciples hear Jesus tell this story, preach this really cool message, and they pull him aside and they're like, Jesus, like, that was a really cool message, well presented. Great analogy with the farmer and the seed. Love it. So what does it mean, though? <laughs> They're like, I, I like, I like it. It sounded really cool. But like, what do you mean a sower goes out and sows and seeds and paths and birds and thorns and like soils? Like, what exactly are you talking about? And so Jesus begins to dial in for them, like begins to break down what this parable is revealing. And and ultimately, right, it, it makes a lot of sense. The first two are like, yeah, I get that. That's super, super clear. The seed falls. The seed represents the word of God. When the word of God hits a hard heart, it bounces off. And the enemy's 100% goal, the devil's goal for humanity is to steal kill and destroy the word of God bearing fruit in your life that is the enemy's goal he wants to steal kill and destroy the word of God from bearing fruit in your life and so this is a story of the word of God going out and hitting a heart that is hard right hitting a path and the enemy just comes and steals because the seed had nowhere to go you're like yeah that makes sense I've experienced that in my life or I've seen the word of God seem to bounce off people when I share the gospel with them and it's just like I don't get it I don't understand how they can't even encounter it you're like yeah I get that like hard soil hard heart that makes sense and then it goes on it's like and some of the seed falls into shallow soil and it springs up really quickly like how and that actually makes a lot of sense too like how many of you have had a couple of encounters like this was me honestly I had a couple of quick seed bearing moments when I was in high school, I would go to youth camp, the seed of the word of God would get in my heart, it would spring up really quickly, but it didn't have any roots, it was just the fruit of an experience, so when life got hard, when temptation got real, when the chaos of what I was dealing with became to swirl in front of me, there was no root system that was going to keep the word of God in me. And so it just dried up. It shriveled up, right? It just, it could not take root. Yeah, I was excited. I was joyful. I was expectant. The encounter was real, but the soil was shallow. And that one-time experience is not going to create root systems, right? Like your roots of the experience have to go down into the soil of your soul so that you can make it through the chaos and the pain of life. And then there's this interesting one where it's like the seed goes into a bunch of thorns. But it's interesting because it says that the thorns grew up. 
So the seed fell on what looked like was good soil, but the soil had not been tilled. And so as the seed began to bear fruit, so did the weeds and the thorns. And the weeds and the thorns are the realities of the desires of the flesh, the temptations of the earth, those anxious, depressed, bitter seeds that get stuck inside of us that as the word of God begins to bear fruit in us, they begin to grow up with it and eventually they choke out that seed from bearing any fruit. What is around you will affect the fruit that is coming from you. That's an amen moment. That's a note-taking moment. All right, so I'm going to give that to you again. And all the note-takers in the house that sit closer to Jesus when we get to heaven, you have an opportunity to move up a couple of rows, okay? What is around you will affect the fruit that is coming from you. I believe that Jesus not only wants us to understand and see that we must tend to the soil of our souls, but we must also be aware of the soil that we plant our lives in. We need to be aware of the soil we plant our lives in. And just like if you want to go far, we have to go together. But who you go with will determine where you go. Who you go with will determine where you go. Are the closest people to you helping you to remove the weeds and thorns that are trying to choke out the power of the word of God growing in you and producing fruit in your life? Or are they fertilizing them? Did you hear that? Got a little silent, got a little tough in here, right? The clearest indicator of where you're going to be in five years is the five people closest to you. The clearest indicator of where you're going to be in five years is the, is the five closest people to you. There are few things that can steal what God is doing in you faster than weed fertilizing people. Weed fertilizing people are those who will sow bitterness, faithlessness, anxiety, and hopelessness into the soil of your soul. They pour gasoline on the fire of your drama, not water. Am I talking to anybody? The power in step two is not just that we belong in a community. But it's that we belong in a community that's going to help us fight to remove the weeds and thorns in our lives, not encourage them. There have been so many times in my life where if I'm honest with you, I look back and I have this very clear reality. I think I lost ground in my relationship with God in that season. I don't think I took ground. And 100% of the time, it has to do with the community that I'm plugged into. 
If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to end up in the right place, go with good soiled people. We need to till the soil of our hearts, but we need to be aware of the soil that we're planting our lives in. You know, last semester, a few of us got to um, get to know a young man who was a foreign exchange student from Mexico, and his name was Daniel. And I love this story that God began to tell through Daniel's life because Daniel was walking on campus And he came across a team of college students that were on an impact trip in the city of Austin, loving on Austin, believing Jesus for a move of God in Austin from Antioch, Baton Rouge. Holla at your boy if you love the boot. And so they engaged Daniel and began to strike up a conversation with him. And then they said, hey, tonight we're having life group and we would love it if you would come to life group. And so Daniel said, yeah, sure. I'd love to come to life group and hang out with you guys. And, and when he was there, the best way to put it is that Daniel got sucked into good soil. He, he got sucked into a community of people that were fighting to see the word of God bear fruit in his life, not encouraging the weeds and the thorns to be fertilized in his life. And while he was at Life Group, he met one of the leaders, a young man named Jake Moorhead. And Jake Moorhead began to just hang out with him and invest in him and begin to walk life with Daniel and, and read the Bible with him. Now, you need to understand that Daniel at this point was not a follower of Jesus. He was just experience, experiencing the fruit of good soil. And people want to be in good soil. Can I say that? People want to be in good soil. People that don't even believe what we believe will hang out with us if it's good soil because good soil feels good to the soul. And so Daniel just kept hanging out, just kept coming around, kept hanging out with Jake. And so they said, man, look, you need to come to an, an encounter night, Daniel. Like you, and if you haven't been to an encounter night, let me just shout out encounter night really quick. If you haven't been to an encounter night, you need to come to the next encounter night. Because all we do is worship and pray for each other and believe that God wants to move powerfully and mightily in us and through us. And it is always always a transformational time. So here's Daniel, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus at this point, comes with a community of people that became family to him. He doesn't believe what we believe, but he's experiencing belonging unlike anything he's ever experienced before. And in this encounter night, he has an encounter with Jesus, looks at Jake and he's like, I need to give my life to this man. I need to give my life to Jesus. And he gets saved at encounter night. He says, yeah, that's good news. That's a clapping moment. That's an amen moment. So he like, it's like, I'm in. I, like, I, 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 I want to give my life to Jesus. And so Jake, man, just being one of our best college leaders, he looks at him and he's like, dude, next week, we're going on our spring break awaken impact trip. You've got to come. He's like, okay, I'm coming. So he comes. God moves mightily in his life on that trip and through his life. And Daniel experienced the fact that transformation is our byproduct. I mean, he was a completely different 
guy. And we got to send him back to Mexico a couple of months ago. And man, we felt like we were launching like a missionary into Mexico because he's like, I'm going to do this very same thing that we've been doing here. I'm just going to do it there. He was totally changed. But maybe the coolest thing that happened is that right before he left, a few people gather around him and he looks at that life group that became a family to him. And he says, before I met you guys, I felt invisible. I'd walk around campus and literally no one said hello to me. And when I met you guys, you gave me a place to belong. You gave me a place to experience family. And I'll never be the same because of it. This is why we do life group. This is it. That's exactly it. Now, look, I understand that not everyone's story is Daniel's story. I know that. I get it. But man, community is something to be fought for. Belonging to be something to be continually leaned into. Can I just debunk a myth for you? And if you're older in the house, you're going to go, yeah, I know that. But if you're younger, you really believe this. The community just instantly happens. It doesn't. You got to fight for it. Great families don't instantly happen. You got to fight for it. It's something you have to lean into. You have to have a lean forward mentality into belonging into a community. Belonging is not passive. Belonging is 100% aggressive. You have to be like, I am going to belong here. And you have to lean in. And we want to lean back to you. And we get this whole picture of this idea of why it's so important for us to run far together when we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. And some of you guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to life group one time and they read that scripture but man it really didn't feel like I experienced that scripture can I get an amen right like we're not lying to you and being like that that life group is just always just power encounter but I am being confident in telling you that life group is worth the effort belonging is worth the effort if you want to go fast yeah sure go try try run alone for a little while you won't make it if you want to go far if you want to finish well you have to go with people. You have to go together. And Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions and gave to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That passage is like a Polaroid picture of what the early church looked like. This is what it looked like after that powerful moment of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and invaded a group of 120 people that were saying, man, look, Jesus, we believe that you are who you say you are, that you did exactly what you said that you did. And we're not the same because we encountered you. They were belonging together. They were hanging out together. The Holy Spirit invading them. And that community of 120 people began to grow and multiply, right? Because good soil bears 
fruit. And they were in a community where they were in not just to fertilizing the weeds and the thorns in each other's lives. They were saying, no, like we're going to remove that stuff. We want to seek out who Jesus says that we are. We want to pursue who he's called us to be. And then you get this other snapshot in Acts 4. And if you were here last week, we read this and it's going to sound familiar. And I'm glad that it will because I want it to just be stuck in your heart that this is what church is. It's like all the believers were in one heart and mind and no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own but they shared everything they had with great power and the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them that's what we want to be. We want to be a place where we can find belonging, where we can be known, where we can experience community, and we want to fight for it. We don't just want a utopic dream of it. We want to experience it. Because you can't, you can't make it. You can't finish the race that God has for you by yourself. You weren't created to. God created us to live this faith life out together. That's why Jesus picked 12 guys, invested everything he had in them. And he said, now you go do the same thing. And then he sent them out and he sent them out in twos and 72s and 12s because we need each other not to go fast, but to go far, to finish the race that God has set out for us to run, to be the church that he's called us to be. And, and so we're taking a fresh Stand, man, we're saying, look, God, grow our life groups. You want to hear a faith goal? Our faith goal is that our 15 life groups turns to 30 by the end of this semester. Can I encourage you to pray that with us? To, to not just... To, to not just like hear it once, but literally daily, would you pray, God, make this a house that has room for people to belong and to make it easy as possible for you to hopefully find a place where you can belong. As you heard on our announcements that next week is Get Connected Sunday. Get Connected Sunday is something that we do around here where our leaders will be out in the lobby, our serve teams will be out in the lobby, and we want to make that first step of, man, how do I find my place here? How do I find a place to belong here? We want to make that step as simple and as clear as possible. And at the same time, look, if you're not new and you've tried Life Group and you're like, man, this is not for me, I'm too busy, I can't make it work right now, or I went and it was extraordinarily awkward and I didn't connect with anybody that was there and they had really bad snacks and they talked about weird things and Star Wars and stuff and you're like that's not really me and I'm just you know like I love this I love encountering Jesus with you but like belonging in a small group I'm not 100 let's all lean in again together because we're going to be stronger for it we're going to be healthier for it we're going to be able to go further because of it and so come ready, come ready next week. If you don't have a place that you can say like, man, I belong to this community. I belong to this life group. Come next week excited and expectant to meet some leaders that are gonna help you plant yourself in good soil. Soil that is surrounded by people that wanna fight with you to kill the weeds and the thorns that we all encounter and not fertilize them 
to belong in a community of people that want to push you into encounter and not pull you from it. To belong to a community of people that want to encourage you to take steps forward in faith and not steps of fear. To fight with you through discouragement, through frustration and disappointment and not fuel it. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Can you stand with me?